died on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread. He raised from the dead on first fruits. And then the 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. Those are four feasts, and they're in the spring. And Jesus came and fulfilled every one of those. And now we're in between his first coming and his return. And the first fall feast is trumpets, his return. You remember they blew the trumpets for the coronation of the king. When the king comes back, so the first fall feast and the fifth feast will be the trumpets, the feast of trumpets. And the king will return. The clouds will open up and he will come back. It will be better than any game we've ever been to. And then the next feast, which really is not a feast, it's a fast. But the next appointed time of God is the uh, feast of the Day of Atonement. And we just finished that one. And it's a fast where you... You remember last week, Deborah taught that it's a time you afflict your soul. And how amazing God's begin to teach us. It's a time that you bow down to him. And you deal with the flesh. And you bow down to him. And you make the flesh bow down to him. To his ways. To his plan. To his purpose in our lives. And we just finished that. It's really, a, it's the holiest day. You know, Feast of Tabernacles, the happiest day. Because we've just finished the holiest day, the day of judgment. After Jesus comes back, there will be a day of judgment. And then there will be the happiest day ever. And it's the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's seven feasts. And... Um, Tabernacles, the word tabernacles, I know you remember, it actually means to dwell, to tabernacle with, to dwell with, you know, you, to dwell together. So it's tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, it's the seventh feast, listen for all the sevens, it's the Feast of Sevens, it's the seventh feast, it's in the seventh month which I know you're thinking, well, no, this is the ninth month. Well, in our calendar, it is the ninth month. But in God's calendar, it's the seventh month. He has his calendar. And it's the month of Tishri. And all three of the feasts in the fall, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles come in the seventh month. They all come. And Jesus will fulfill them all perfectly right there. So it's the seventh feast in the seventh month, and it lasts for seven days. It's the number of completion. You know, in Revelation, Jesus says it's done. The story is complete. That's what the fall feasts tell. People, he's coming back. There's going to be a day of judgment, and then there's going to be a day where we will all dwell with him forever. So when I was praying about it, I felt like the Lord gave me a um, wonderful way to kind of focus on what he was going to show me. And he said, Feast of Tabernacles, it's a call, an invitation to come and remember, come and celebrate, come and rehearse. And so as 
I began to look back, and he said, I want you to go back and remember the children of Israel on their journey out of Egypt, out of their captivity to the promised land. It's such a picture of us. And when he brought them out, he gave them his instructions, and then he gave them his plan of redemption in the feast. So let's start in Leviticus 23. It's on page 140 in the church Bible. And um, you remember we've read it so many times, Leviticus 23, verse 1, where it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. And so we remember that we've learned from the very beginning that these are the Lord's feasts. You know, we all grew up not understanding these are his feasts, these are his appointed times, just like we talked about, where he is going to do the gospel story. He's going to do the appointed times. And so in verse 4 again, he says it again. These are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So tomorrow evening at 6.30 is God's appointed time to begin to celebrate tabernacles. And we've been called We've been invited, and we can come tomorrow night here and worship him and celebrate him at 6.30. He set the time. He set the date, and it will go on for seven days, but tomorrow is his appointed time for that. All right, so now let's start at verse 33 and start to read about the Feast of Tabernacles. So Leviticus 23 Chapter 23, verse 33. It's on page 140 in the church Bible. And it says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, He said, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly, and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your freewill offerings which you give to the Lord. I want to stop right there and just talk about, we've talked about before, a holy convocation. It means an assembly. And he repeats that. Did you hear it? He says it several times. This is a holy assembly tomorrow night that I've appointed for you to come together and worship. It's a holy gathering. 
And he says to not do any work on it, but to rest in him. To rest in all that he has provided. Man is so guilty of trying to do work to attain something with the Lord. We're to rest in what he has done because he's done it all. He's provided everything for the day of tabernacles, for everything. And so we are to do no work but to rest in him. All right, I want to take us to, he led me back to Exodus 14. It's on page 76. And I want to look at the children's of Israel's journey a little bit. He so was showing me and reminding me to remember how he provided for them as they came out of Egypt and how he provided everything they needed. So turn to page 76 in the church Bible. It is Exodus 14, and I want to start in, chap- in verse 5. So chapter 14, verse 5 on page 76 in the Bible. So verse 5, and it says, And now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And so he made ready his chariots, and his to- he took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. So in verse 9, I want to look right here. It says, So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and overtook them camping by the sea, beside Pi-Haroth and before Baal-Zephron. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So the children of Israel have left, and I think they started out in a bold way, but now they've gotten out here and things have gotten hard and difficult, and the enemy's coming after them in a hot pursuit. And they have actually been guided by the Lord to camp at a place that they're going to be now, you know, blocked between the enemy and the Red Sea. Have you ever felt like you're in a place like that? That it's an impossible place? The Lord was reminding me of places once we've left our bondage and we get out and things get hard and we find ourselves in a place that looks impossible. But you see, the children cried out to the Lord, even in their grumbling and complaining here. It says they cried out to the Lord. I want to read verse 13. And Moses said to the people, he said, Do not be afraid, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord 
which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and he shall, and you shall hold your peace. And so Moses right here, I love the demonstration Moses has given us. When we come into a battle, and we find ourselves in an impossible situation, and we cry out to the Lord, he is, Moses says, stand still and don't be afraid. God, you're going to see your salvation. And you know what the story is. Um, look in verse 30. Let's, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but if you have time this week to come back and read it, it's a wonderful chapter. But in verse 30, well, let's start in 29. It says, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord, and his servant Moses. You know what I was thinking about, Joe? I thought, I bet there was celebration going on right there. I bet there was a big celebration like none. In fact, if you want to read the song Moses sang and Miriam sang as they worshiped and they said, Lord, you have provided a way out. You have provided. You have saved us from the Egyptians. And they walked across as God split the sea. So how would God work in our impossible places when we cry out to him and we say we are watching for what you're going to provide as you are with us and you will answer our prayers and he opened the sea and they walked through on dry ground and then they had a great celebration and they're people like us and so they journeyed along a little ways turn the page to exodus 16 and then, I mean, we were talking earlier how we fall back into these places that we don't want to be in sometimes. But the grace of God to call us back out and keep bringing us along is what we're going to see. And that's the whole message of the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm with you. I will help you. Call to me and I will answer you. So on page 79, I want to look at Exodus 16. The Lord took me here. And um, start actually in verse 2. And what has happened is they're coming along and they're hungry now. And so they're grumbling again. And uh, it says in verse 2, The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat around pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And I see this place where we fall back into complaining, 
or other places that we don't want to be. But we can come to the Lord and he will help us. Can you just see the Lord? He knew they were going to need bread. This was not a surprise to him. But he was watching them and he was testing them to see if they would walk in his ways with them, with him. But when they cried out to him, he rained down bread from heaven. What can that look like? And you remember the story. It was just enough for that day, the bread. They would go out. He said, go out every day and gather what you need for the day. And the word to us, you remember, is to go out and gather in the word every morning. They were supposed to get what they would need for the day. To gather in the word. To gather in Jesus. So that we can go out and not be grumbling and complaining and falling back. But that we can have what we need for the day. I want to go next. The Lord led me to Exodus 17. It's on page 80, so it's just one page over. And just like the children of Israel are coming along, it's the same for us. And they're coming along in their journey toward the promised land. God led them out of Egypt. He called them. He's given their instructions. He's given them directions. And he's teaching them his ways as he leads them. And he's teaching them that I will be there and I will provide for you no matter what. And so now we find them, they're hungry. I mean, they're thirsty. I'm sorry. So they're thirsty. In Exodus 17, and um, we'll start in verse 2. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord and he said, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So it is not an easy day here. They are really in a difficult place. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. And take with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river. And, be, and go. And then the Lord said, he says, Behold, I will stand before you. And there on the rock in Horeb, you shall strike the rock. And water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. I think we are so familiar with this, pe this verse that we don't stop to think about water from a rock. From a rock. And Moses had the faith to follow. And I was reading, the Lord is so amazing. He's had me in the Psalms for a little while, studying the Psalms, which is, I've not really done, and so it's awesome. But you remember Deborah told us that the Hallel is Psalms 113 through 118. And they were songs that the people of Israel would sing during feast days for sure. And as they were traveling to the uh, temple. They would sing these scriptures. So one of them I was looking at this week, 
talks about the rock. So I want us to go to Psalms 114, it's page 701. And I thought when I read it, I thought that does help me to think more about the fact that it was a rock. So Psalms 114, the psalm is about the power of God and his deliverance of Israel. I want to look at verse 7. Again, it's on page 701. Psalms 114, verse 7. And it says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. Nothing is impossible for him. He brought forth water from a rock. And he watered thousands of people from a rock. Nothing's impossible for him. Tabernacles. It's our call to come and remember what he did for them and what he's done for us. The next place the Lord took me was to 1 Corinthians. It's on page 1318. in the church Bible. 1 Corinthians 10. And we're going to start in verse 1. So page 13, 18, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And Paul writes and he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You see, he's talking about the fathers, the children of Israel that came out of Egypt. And he said they were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And this is what stuck out to me. They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And I thought about them and I thought about us. And how we can miss the spiritual when we're just looking at the physical. The Lord has taught us for years now that the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. But I don't know if they knew as they drank from that rock that they were drinking a spiritual drink as they gathered their bread in the morning. Were they listening for the Spirit to speak to them and to help them? I thought of us here as we are journeying along and gathering our bread and drinking our spiritual water. I was thinking about the places that are hard and dry when we get dry. And when we get in a difficult place. And when we feel hungry. And this world is not satisfying what we need. That we should go to the rock. And drink 
from him. But I want to finish this one scripture, uh, this one verse here in five, because it's interesting. He goes on to say, he says, but, you know, they all drank the same spiritual drink, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not pleased, well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, you remember. Now these things become became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. You see, the physical things. We should hunger and thirst for the spiritual things. And in verse 7 it says, And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to complain. I'm sorry, to play. Now let us, com- nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. And nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I read this and I thought, yes, Lord. He is speaking to us in these scriptures that don't let us fall back into these places. Come out and get a drink from the rock. Come out and gather us some spiritual food from Jesus. I want, the Lord did an amazing thing and he began to show me um, a place in the New Testament, turn to John 14, I mean John 1. We're going to go to John 1. Because to the Israelites, it was true. Jesus had not come in the flesh, but today he has. God did the most amazing thing as he showed me in John 1, verse 1, And it's on page 1220. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, And the darkness did not comprehend it. But you see what he's talking about? At this time over here, in the beginning, the word was with God. He was with God. Jesus, the word, was with God. And everything that was made through him, there was nothing that was made except through him. But he was with God. And then God did the most profound, amazing thing. And let's read about it in John 1.14. So the word was with God in the beginning. And then in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The rock in the desert became flesh. The bread became flesh. And here we are 
to behold him. Every day, he dwells among us. I love that he set up tabernacles to remind us of that every year. That he is here. That he provides for our needs the most impossible looking places. They're not impossible. Those hard places, they're not. We just need to draw from the rock and from the bread. And then the Lord took me over to John 6. So it's just a couple of pages over. John 6, page 1228. John 6. And what is happening here is some people are following Jesus and they're asking him some questions. And I guess we could start up just a little bit in 28. We'll start right here in 628. And it says, and then they said to him, the people said to him, they said, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And I'm sorry, but sometimes that just sounds so familiar, doesn't it? And let's see what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, Well, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers, they ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You know they're talking about the people of Egypt. If the Israelites. And then Jesus said to them, he answered, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, oh, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, and he says to us, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so I see this place where the physical things that he provided for the Israelites, it's a reflection of Jesus, the spiritual. And he says, you're hungry? Don't go to the world. Don't go to a physical fulfillment. It won't fill you up. My father has sent you the bread of life. Go to him and eat. It's Jesus. And eat of his words. It's amazing. We begin to fill up on his scriptures and we get filled up. Let's look at uh, the same chapter, but verse 48. Okay, so they're coming on along and they're talking about that he is the bread that came down from heaven. But I want to start in 48. Well, let's start in 47. But it says, most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And he's telling the people, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. 
And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus is telling them, I am the bread. They're still stuck over looking for something else to be their answer. And he says, no, I am the bread. Let's go to chapter 7, John chapter 7. And I want to look at verse 2. I just want you to see John 7 verse 2. It says, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So Jesus is right there at the appointed time of tabernacles. I want to read just a little bit. It says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go, to in Ju- go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. They had not come to believe at this point. And then Jesus said to them, Jesus answered, he said, he said, my time has not yet come. You know, the time he's talking about is the appointed time. He said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You can go to the feast. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And he is the feast. But he was telling them, it's not quite time. And he said these things to them. He remained in Galilee. In verse 10 it says, But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. I want to drop down to verse 14 and just show you. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled. They were saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered them, and he said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning this doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. I want to go over Right here, Jesus is saying, I am not speaking on my own authority, but I'm speaking on the authority of the Father. He's the one that has appointed all things. I want to drop over to um, verse 37. So it is the Feast of Tabernacles. And you remember... Uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I think we read it well ago. It's a seven-day feast, and then there's an eighth day. There's a new beginning. There's more. There's more. And so when Jesus is in verse 37, it says on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirst." Let him come to me and drink. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And so 
do you remember he struck the rock and the water flowed out and fed, watered all the thirsty people? And then we read in 1 Corinthians, and that rock was Christ. And Jesus stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles and he said, I am. He said, I am the water. If you are thirsty, like the people were in the desert, come to me and drink because I will fill your heart with the Holy Spirit. And then you will pour out and water others. It'll be a place of refreshing. I see there's no room here for grumbling and complaining. But out of your heart, the Holy Spirit will fill people up. And that is what Jesus is saying. For those who believe in him, are you thirsty? Have you been thirsty this last week? I think there are times that we're just thirsty. I think the Day of Atonement helps us realize that. I think there are days that we're just hungry. But I know the only thing that gives living water and you'll not thirst anymore and fills us up where we don't hunger anymore is Jesus. He's the only thing this world does not satisfy. It never will. And I was thinking about that because as the Lord was calling me back to remember how he provided for the Israelites, and he began to refresh my memory of all the things he's provided in my life, I think that we lose sight because of this world, we get lost in this world and we forget all he's done. And so I was thinking about this place of celebration. That's where we get celebratory, is when we remember how he opened the Red Sea. We remember how he fed the people. When we remember how he fed us, how he set us free from our sin, that causes us to celebrate. I thought, Lord, that's why we celebrate when we realize that you are with us. You became flesh. And you are here with us. And any time we can come to you and drink from you and be filled up. Any time we can gather up your living word and get what we need for the day. Any time that is cause for celebration. That is cause for celebration. I believe we get uh, like the Israelites did. And we get squished down. But it's because we're not coming together what we need. And to remember what he's done. And to recall those great places. Man, I spent the last few days thinking about things he's done. Because it seems like all the world wants to say is what hasn't happened. But... I believe we're supposed to come and say, yes, Lord. We remember, as Moses sang, how you opened that Red Sea. We just walked right through on dry ground. And you brought us into this land. Lord, you're so good. There is no one like you. You provide everything we need to walk with you. And so I was thinking about this place because not only are we supposed to remember, but we're supposed to celebrate 
and rejoice and we're rehearsing. So the next scripture that he took me to was Isaiah 12. It's on page 796. And the thing about it is, back when the uh, priest would, were uh, celebrating tabernacles in the days of the Israelites, in the days of the children of Israel, there was a great ceremony. It was the happiest time. But it's because they're remembering who God is. He's so great. He's so powerful. And there is nothing impossible for him. He parted the Red Sea. You know, twice, actually. He parts the sea and we walk through. They were remembering his works and they were celebrating it. They came together because God is with us. And they would take a gold pitcher down to the Pool of Siloam. Y'all remember the story? But it was a big fanfare. It was a very happiest occasion. And they would take the gold pitcher down to the Pool of Siloam. And they would all be going and blowing the trumpets. And they would pull up the water from the Pool of Siloam. And they were marching back to pour it on the altar. Here they come. Because they're rejoicing in who God is and what he has done and how he has provided for them. And so as they're going back, they're singing a song of praise. I want to start in verse 2. And it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You see that picture of them going down and drawing up the water. It's a picture like the rock was a picture of Jesus. The wells of salvation. You have been saved. You are going to live with him forever. It's the picture of the water that they would bring back. Salvation is in Jesus, and they would pour it out on the altar, and they were so thankful that the Lord had saved them, just like he did when he opened up the Red Sea, and he saved them. And in that day, verse 4, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, and make mention that his name is exalted. Oh, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. And this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. He is in our midst, and he has done great things, and he has done mighty things. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a time to come and remember what he's done in our lives. To recall the great and excellent, they were like, exalt his name. He has provided a way of salvation. And he is with us today, and we can draw from his water any time we want to. It's a very celebratory place. Go and back to Leviticus 23. It's on page 140. We've got to finish because now we're coming to the celebration part. So let's start in verse 39, okay? It's on page 140 in the church Bible. Leviticus 23, verse 39. 
It says also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. I want to stop right here because that stuck out to me. And I thought, wonder what that means. You shall keep the feast of the Lord. So I looked up that word, keep the feast. It is a word, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's kagag. It's spelt C-H-A-G-A-G, kagag. You shall keep the feast, kagag. You shall keep the feast before the Lord. You know what it means? It means you shall dance and you shall sing and you shall rejoice and be festive. Keep the feast, dance and sing and be joy. That's how God's people should be. Oh, we are celebrating because Jesus is with us. He is prepared a way for us into salvation. It means be festive, dance, rejoice, and celebrate. And I thought, yes, Lord, we, we want to keep the feast, to gag with you, to dance with you. All seven days, I want to dance before the Lord. Okay, let's go back. And it says, uh, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Oh, I, I skipped some, y'all. We have to go back. I'm so sorry. I got so excited there. So we're in 39, and it says, You shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. Kagag. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees. God says, branches of palm trees and the boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. Gather all these together and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. He's making it sure we understand. You shall keep it and dance and celebrate for seven days. Be so happy and rejoicing in what God's done. And don't worry about anything, but rejoice. And it shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So, y'all remember when we first started waving these? Yeah, we didn't quite know what to do with them. Because we were taught to sit still. And no, the Lord says, no, dance, gather up. This is called a lulav. Gather up the palm branches from the water, beside the water, and gather up the fruit. This is a citron. And you're supposed to actually hold them together and wave them before the Lord. He said, dance with them. And I thought, Lord, we need help to cut loose and to dance and be festive as his people would be because he is our salvation. And he has come. He is among us. And if we believe in him, then living waters will flow out of our heart. And we won't be brought down by the things of this world because we're eating and we're drinking from the true spiritual rock. And so when we come together tomorrow night, I hope we can wave our lulavs different. I sometimes see some of us, I won't call us out by names, and we are waving our arms. You know why we mean it, Lord. We praise you 
That's what we're to do. Lord, look at all you've done. You have authority over all things. You brought water from a rock, and that rock was Christ. And then Jesus became flesh, and he lives here with us. It's a time to dance and to celebrate and to mean it before the Lord, not before me or you. No, we're to perform before the Lord to show him our thanksgiving. To celebrate what he's done. He has done great things in all our lives. We have seen his hand. It is time to rise up and celebrate. And tomorrow night at 6.30, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dance and we're going to celebrate before the Lord. And then he said, it's a time to rejoice. Well, we have to go on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so excited. But let's go and finish Leviticus 23. So it's a time to keep the feast before the Lord and to celebrate all of his provision, all of his authority, all that he has done. And in verse 42, we'll finish this chapter. It says, and you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And he says, I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared to the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. And so he finishes, he says, and I want you to come out and dwell. You remember they're called a sukkah. And it's a but Deborah called it a lean-to, you know. It's not permanent. It's not our houses that we set up and make so right. But it's a temporary shelter. You know why? He was reminding them, and every year he reminds us, this is not your home. This is temporary. You're not going to always be here. I have gone, Jesus said, to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come and take you back. And so he says, live in these temporary little houses. And as you're outside, remember that I am creator of all things. The heavens and the heavens. I am creator of the entire world and universe and everything. He has created it all. And all of a sudden, our problems and our worries shrink under the greatness of who God is. Yes, they shrink down to the right size. They shouldn't be our worry. But as we're out there and we read his scriptures and we celebrate who he is and we remember this is not our permanent dwelling place, every one of us will die. And he has gone to prepare a place for us. So it is a place to also rejoice and also rehearse. One more scripture, page 1351. It's Philippians 4. And you'll be a little more familiar maybe with it. But I just couldn't leave it out. Philippians 4, page 1351. And verse 4. Man, it you makes you want to get your lulav. Because he says, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And he says, be anxious for nothing. When you're out in your sukkah and you remember, this is not your world. This is not your home. And that God has power and authority over all things. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. That means thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then, the peace of God, which transcends, surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. And so he says, rejoice in this place because this is, this is not your home. And be anxious about nothing. Don't worry. But fill up on who Jesus is. And then he brings us to rehearse. And this is the place I just love. It's in Revelation 21. It's on page 1424. So it is a place to remember. It is a, a festival that is happy, and it is a festival of thanksgiving. And it is a place for us to remember what he's done in our lives. Speak it out. It said declare them. Tell them to each other. Remind each other. Oh, do you remember when God did that? That was so amazing. And speak of them and encourage one another. Remembering that he came in the flesh and he is with us. But then we're rehearsing and we're looking forward because there's a day coming, like Joe spoke of us this morning, that we will all tabernacle together. So let's start reading in Revelation 21, verse 1. And it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part 
in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come and I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. She also had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me made a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. When I was reading this, and I saw in verse 9 where it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. I thought about this day of tabernacles and this day of her worshiping and rejoicing and celebrating her husband, the lamb's wife, the people of God, and how they should look, how we should be. I want to turn the page or go to verse 22. It says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no, re no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to skip over to 22. And I want to read um, verse 12. And Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. I'm going to stop there. If you want to read this week as you are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and his greatness, these chapters, all of them, are such a great place to read as we get out of our houses and look up at the heavens and remember 
all he has done in our lives and look forward to the day that he will bring us into a place where there are no more, there is no more death and sorrow. But today, we'll keep drinking from that spiritual rock and eating that spiritual food, that living water will flow out of our hearts. I want to remind you tomorrow night at 6.30 to come back and worship the great I Am. For He is worthy of our worship. And we thank Him for all that He has done. Y'all stand and let's worship Him now. was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight so you made a way across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside And there at the cross you paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white Thank you, Jesus, you have saved Into glorious light You took my place Laid inside my tomb of sin You were buried for three days But then you walked right out again And now death has no sting and life has no end For I have been transformed By the blood of the Lamb Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life Thank you, Jesus Thank you, Jesus, for the blood 
Love. Glory.